out the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass or the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, as they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. The appearance of the locust was like horses prepared for battle and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots and many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. They have the king as king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. This is God's holy inspired word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please be with us now and give attentiveness to our minds and understanding to our minds. Give listening, please, we pray, to our ears that they may hear and believe. Lord, we pray that you would give sight to our eyes and, again, belief and love to our hearts and obedience to our hands. Help us to see that the enemy has no power over the elect. Praise be to you, Lord. I decrease that you may increase. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our study through the apocalypse of John. And we have just read verses that are frightening, to say the least, if you are not a believer. And if you are a believer, uh, they could also be frightening images to some degree as well. Last week, we examined in chapter 9 just the very first verse of this chapter. Then the fifth angel sounded. And I saw a heaven, or sorry, I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to the earth, and the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. We learned last week, with God's help, that this fallen star is, in fact, Satan. When the fallen stars are mentioned in the Bible, they are most often have to do with fallen angels. When we see fallen angels or fallen stars in Scripture, they most often have to do with fallen angels. We learned... That Satan fell. Uh, we don't know Satan's name in terms of who he was before the fall. We only know his name after the fall. He is Satan. He is the deceiver. He is the dragon. He is the liar. He is uh, the accuser of the brethren. Satan most likely fell just after creation when he was cast to the earth. Ezekiel 28 tells us that the reason for Satan's fall is the same reason for the fall of the king of Tyre, the fall of Adam, the fall of Eve and the fall of Satan. The reason or cause for their fall is pride. In fact, it is made clear in the Proverbs that pride always goes before a fall. This is true for all who are puffed up with pride. They will eventually, whether in this life or in the next, they will fall. 
Finally, we learn that Satan is constantly descending. He is constantly falling. Satan has fallen from heaven to earth, from earth to the pit, and eventually from the pit to the lake of fire, where he will be once and for all destroyed. As Satan is descending, Christ has ascended. Christ has ascended. He has taken his seat at the right hand of the Father, where he currently rules and reigns. And he has promised to his people that he will return for us and consummate his kingdom. Now, that's what we will deal with this morning. Where is Satan now? What's he doing now? What is his current activity now? As we shall see in Revelation chapter 20, Satan is loosed for a time. Now. Satan is loosed for a time now. Satan, Revelation will say, will be and has been released from his prison and will come out, listen to this, to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the world. That is, to deceive the world. What's Satan doing now? Deceiving the nations. Here in this ninth chapter, we are given insight into the work of deception by Satan and his minions upon the unbelievers. I'm going to say that over and over again, upon the unbelievers. Those who do not have the seal of God upon their foreheads. Satan has no power to accuse the elect. It's been removed from him by the work of Christ. He also, as we shall see, is powerless to deceive the elect. But he has been given authority to deceive the wicked. With God's help then, let us consider these 12 verses in chapter 9 and the demonic torture upon the wicked. We shall do so with three points. Number one, the demonic locus. Number one, the demonic locus. Uh, this is verses 1 through 6 or so. As the fallen star is commissioned by God at the sounding of the trumpet to unlock the shaft of the bottomless pit, John sees a vision, if you're taking notes, these are important, of dense smoke arising from the abyss. Remember that Revelation is a book of imagery, of uh, symbols, and we will get to the symbolism of these things in, in a moment. But keep in mind this phrase that's said by John over and over again, like, like. What John is depicting is not literally what it is, but it is meant to convey a spiritual reality that is communicated by way of images. John is communicating some spiritual truth through these images. The image that John receives in the ninth chapter has its closest parallel, meaning its closest connection to the plagues of Exodus and also to the prophecy in Joel. So if you're looking for a reference, where is John um, gleaning these visions from? The plagues of Exodus and also the prophecy of Joel. In Joel's prophecy, chapters 2 and 3, he's given a vision of a time when the sun will be darkened. Listen to this. And when the stars will lose their brightness. Here, John is picking up on that previous prophecy, and he sees that from the abyss arises dense, and you might even think of it as billowing smoke. Some of you have seen fires as they are uh, raging at their hottest. There is this kind of billowing smoke that comes forth from them. Well, John sees out of this abyss comes this type of billowing smoke. And it does this. It creates a type of, of an eclipse. 
that eclipses the sun. And listen to this other phrase, the sun and the air. People are not able to see the sun because of this billowing dense smoke. And they're also not even able to see air. Interestingly enough, Paul, John doesn't say sky, but says air. The dense smoke arises, just like with all of the previous trumpet blasts. It is arising as a judgment from God. Why is why has the um, fallen star been given the key to the bottomless shaft to open it? Because God commissions him to do so. Why is there billowing smoke coming forth that is eclipsing sun and air? Because God has commissioned these things to be so as a judgment. Now, what is the smoke and eclipsing of the sun and air have to do? What, what, what is the meaning of this? We'll get to that in a moment. So hold that question if you're thinking about it. Let's consider this again. Why have they come forth? Before we discuss what is the smoke that um, blinds or obscures, right? Why is the smoke there? Remember that this uh, prophecy, this vision that John sees, has its its closest parallel to that uh, those plagues in Egypt and also Joel's prophecy. There's two parallels. Then we must ask ourselves, what was going on in those times that would cause first Moses and then Joel to um, to write of and to to write of the acts of God and then in Joel's case to prophesy about the acts of God. What was taking place? Oppression. Oppression of God's people was taking place in those particular times. God says in Joel, nations have invaded my land. In terms of the Exodus, uh, the, the children of Israel were being oppressed by the pagan idolatrous Egyptians. There was an oppression taking place in both instances. And in both instances, God says, as a result, judgment will come forth in the form of first literally locusts. And then locusts like an army. And then in chapter 9 of Revelation, a kind of spiritual locust. Today, Christ and his bride are also being opposed. And what is emerging from this pit in order to serve as God's judgment upon the wicked is this billowing smoke. And we will see in just a moment what comes out of the billowing smoke. Uh, brother, if, could you please check the air and see if it's where it should be? Uh, just like the seals, just like the trumpets, and later like the bowls, all of these are a result of God's judgment upon the wicked. All of these are a result of God's judgment upon the wicked. Just like the locusts of Egypt were a result of God's judgment upon the wicked. Just like the locusts that Joel saw in Joel chapters 2 and 3 are a result of God's judgment upon the wicked. So now, in Revelation, the locusts are coming forth as a, as a form of God's judgment upon the wicked. Why have they come? Judgment. Uh, what has prompted their coming? Chapter 6 of Revelation. The prayers of the saints. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging who? The wicked. Uh, revenging, uh, judging and avenging our blood upon those who dwell on the earth. Those who dwell on the earth is always a reference to evildoers. 
How long the prayers of the saints? They are under the altar of God. They are, they are crying out, not for vengeance, but for God to be who God is, holy and true. How long will you refrain from your holy and trueness upon the wicked? Uh, they are crying out like the psalmist cried out in, in Psalm 94. When the psalmist looks upon the wicked and sees that they are prospering, the psalmist cries out, how long will the wicked triumph? Here in the ninth chapter, God says no longer, no more. His judgment comes. Behold, the Lord has, has risen. What, a, what, a, what an imagery, if, if you ever could, could imagine one. The Lord has risen from his holy temple. The Lord has hit, risen from his holy mountain to execute judgment. No longer is he sitting, but now he stands to execute judgment. Verse 3, then out of the smoke... If you are imagining this billowing smoke, then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. And power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. If you can see in your mind's eye this, this dense billowing smoke blocking out the visibility of the sun, blocking out even the visibility of, of air, these demonic Beings portrayed, not literally locusts, but portrayed as locusts, emerge from out of the smoke. It's almost something that comes straight out of a, a movie. Almost something, which is probably why the movies love to, to uh, play with Revelation. <coughs> out of this billowing smoke, <coughs> there comes then these creatures that are demonic that John can only liken to locusts. As if the dense smoke were not enough. One can barely see through the smoke. And then to make matters worse, here come these horrific creatures out of the smoke. Now, for those of you who are unaware, locusts are similar to grasshoppers. They are larger, though. And they bite. They have the strong ability to fly. And when they fly, they fly so like a flock of birds together. They, they stay together. Grasshoppers will usually go and do their own thing. Locusts... They have one collective purpose, to destroy. Uh, locusts normally swarm, and when they do, they destroy. Which It's their nature to destroy crops. Uh, they will go in and utterly destroy a crop. It's what they did in Egypt. The eighth plague that God inflicted upon the Egyptians was a plague of locusts. They came and they devoured the crops of Egypt. In first and second uh, chapters of Joel's prophecy... He too sees a swarm of locusts that have been sent by God. And here John is given an image of demons. Not actual locusts, but demons who are likened to locusts. Who are, who are like locusts, who have been given a certain power, authority to destroy, in a sense, but mostly to sting. Like a scorpion. Yeah, and now the, the imagery becomes even more... Um, more bizarre. Here is a locust who has now a tail of a scorpion. Important as we press forward, he's not, especially for you little ones, John is not literally seeing, maybe for everyone, he's not literally seeing actual locusts, but demons who are, who are functioning like locusts do. They are collectively going out together. And when they do, their purpose, their aim is to devour, to destroy. In all of these instances, from Exodus, from Joel, and from Revelation, 
these locusts, why have they come forth? To execute God's judgment upon the wicked. Now, at first hearing, it may be um, something quite alarming. But we must be reminded that they've not been sent to afflict the people of God. Rather, they have been sent to afflict those who afflict the people of God. These locusts emerge from both the pit and then from the smoke with the power of a scorpion and begin to swarm from all, to all corners of the earth. What's the power of a scorpion? I imagine that maybe most of us, maybe not except for Dustin, probably have, have not uh, tangled with a scorpion or been stung by one. The sting and the power of the scorpion has a type of venomous effect on those whom it stings. It's from what I hear and from what I've read. It's it's itching. It causes fatigue. It, it causes a delusion. It causes nausea. It's 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 crippling. It's similar to the the, the bite of the venomous snake or viper when it strikes. It causes a type of torment, an agony. Ah, from those of you who've ever been bit, I, I don't think I've ever been bit by anything. Um, so, that's weird. Uh, there's a type of, of of torture that comes from that place that that has been stung, that has been bit, that has been struck. Now, what does this have to do with smoke? <clears throat> the power of the smoke and the power, or the the. Um, the billowing of the smoke and the power of the sting, they're related. I haven't forgotten about that, but we'll get to that in a moment. When God sends forth the plague of the locusts in Exodus chapter 10 to verse 15, they bring about destruction. They destroyed the land and devoured vegetation, all fruit and trees. Nothing green was left. But here in the fourth verse, the demonic locusts have been sent forth, but they don't do what locusts normally do. Verse 4, they were told not to hurt the grass or the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only, only men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. The locusts are going forth, but they don't do what locusts do. This gives us an indication that these are not actual locusts. Yeah, so when anybody's trying to argue, these are locusts, we need to take scripture literal, but these locusts aren't doing what locusts no normally do. The demonic locusts have come to destroy. That's what Satan does. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, doesn't he? But they don't come for the believer. Because they can't. They come for the unbeliever. Saints of God, those of you who have confessed your sin, repented of your sin, trusted in Christ alone for your justification, you are filled with God's Holy Spirit. Therefore, you are sealed by God, and therefore... Demons and Satan have no authority over you. Those who are indwelt, sealed with the Holy Spirit, are protected from the demonic locusts that are presently swarming the earth, seeking to devour. They can't sting you. I can't wait to get to the third point. They can't sting you. Their venom can't hurt you. Just as the plagues of Egypt did not harm the Israelites. Imagine all of these plagues going forth, but they don't touch Israel. They only are touching Egypt. 
those who had the blood of the Lamb over their doorpost, so too the demonic plague of the locust will only affect and torment, we'll get to this word torment, the unbeliever. Now to the question of smoke and locusts, let's get to it finally. Smoke here is meant to represent what smoke actually does. Especially when it's thick and billowing. What, what, what does billowing smoke prevent you from doing? A number of things, but most importantly, seeing. Billowing smoke obscures, it blinds, it obstructs. What are demons obstructing? Well, what does the smoke obstruct here in Revelation? It is obstructing the brightness of the sun with their billowing smoke and darkness. They are obscuring, interestingly enough, the air. And most often in all of the scriptures, when the word wind or air are used, it is in reference to the Holy Spirit. The demons, then, the smoke of the demons is a judgment from God. Listen to this. Obscuring Christ, the Son, and opposing the work of the Holy Spirit. What is this smoke and, and these demons who come forth from the smoke? What are they doing? They are obscuring Christ and opposing, listen to this, by the decree of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. They are allowed to oppose the work of the Holy Spirit. They are allowed to obscure Christ from the unbeliever. The judgment of God is this upon those who not only oppose God, not only deny God, but oppose and persecute the people of God, his bride. They are given, these demons are given a certain power, and it is a poisonous power to sting the unbeliever. Uh, we'll get to what, what kind of poison it is in the second point, and maybe uh, in some of this first point, but ultimately the demons are released to torture the unbeliever, for his wickedness and for his rejection of Christ, the Son of God, whom they put to death according to the decree of God. Torture that sounds like a harsh word, right? God is torturing. God has sent forth demons to torture. We may at this point even wrestle with the justice of God. It seems unjust that God would, would torture. Torture? It's God's judgment to torture. Is there any injustice with God? Paul will say in Romans 9, 14, may it never be. There is no injustice with God. God is justly answering the prayers of the saints who pray for God to be holy and true. And here is how God displays that he is holy and true, torturing the wicked for their opposition to him and to his church. Executing his righteous judgment upon those who put to death the author of life. And his judgment is right and true. The judgment of God is not to immediately kill them. We'll notice that in verse 5. They're not permitted to kill. But only to allow them. God is allowing them to be tormented. There's a twofold limitation to what these demons can do. Look at verse 5. They were not permitted to kill anyone. But what does God's word say? To torment for those of us who were maybe uncomfortable, I don't like the word torment. Well, take it up with God. To torment for five months. And their torment, three times, their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. In those days, men will seek death and not find it. They will long to die 
and death flees from them. Well, well let's take a, let's talk about these limitations very quickly. They're not permitted to kill. They are allowed to torment, but not kill. The idea of locusts that swarm utterly, they, they destroy utterly. But keep in mind this limitation. They're not permitted to kill all of the unbelievers. Locusts come and destroy. That's what they do. The demons are sent forth, but they're not allowed to kill, destroy. They're only allowed to, to torment. Even those judgments from God have a limitation. Even those judgments from God, there's a type of mercy even in those. That God is, is not yet destroying, but tormenting. The second limitation is a time frame. They're only allowed to do so for five months. Now, why five months? Whenever Revelation speaks in time frames, it's always symbolic. So we don't take five months as a literal five months, but rather, this reference to five months could be that the span of a locust life is actually five months. Their lifespan is actually only five months. And also, the crop season in which the locusts would come and destroy usually lasted for about five months. It was temporal. It wasn't eternal. It was, it was cyclical. There was a cycle to it. So also, the affliction of the demons upon the unbeliever is not a literal five months, but a short period of time. But it's cyclical. It happens, and it's been happening throughout all generations. The unbeliever has been and will continue to experience, listen to this, demonic torment. But this period of affliction is limited by God. Now, what exactly is the torment? We'll get to that in the second point. But the unbeliever will suffer pain. It it is a likening to the pain of being stung by a scorpion. And there will be no relief for the unbeliever. And there will be times where he feels like there is relief and then it will return again. It will be just like Saul, who was tormented by the evil spirit, only for the spirit to go away for a time and then return. And each time it returned, it got stronger and stronger. All of these things. That people seek for relief, whether it be in things, people, places, substances, possessions, they will be of no comfort to the unbeliever. Not even his false gods that he worships will be able to comfort him in his pain. All of their suffering, though, for all of their pain, for all of the, the stinging effect that the demons bring, it will not bring them to a knowledge of God. You would think that, that for the unbeliever who is going through pain, that they would eventually turn to God, that they would eventually find comfort in God. But for all of their suffering, for, for all of their, their pain, it will not bring them to a knowledge of God. They will, they will want to die, but death will escape them. They will be afraid to die because, as one famous musician said in the song, he doesn't know what's up there beyond the sky. So he's afraid to die. Their eyes will be clouded from the one true God, which will only, like Pharaoh, harden their hearts even more to the knowledge of God. John gives a type of partial interpretation of this vision. And again, that the believer seeks death, but it won't find them. There's a, I'll give you an insight. What kind of torture? There's a psychological torture, a psychological suffering, which we'll get to in a moment. That's part of this. Where people will want to end their lives, but they can't do it. They will seek relief and rest from their torment, thinking that death will end their torment. But in reality, death only adds to their torment. 
and it will be a prolonged torment. People think, if I end my life, my suffering will end. No, it just increases, and now it is an eternal suffering that will never end. Hell is a place that Jesus says where the worm never dies. The fire never stops burning. It, it will be a never-ending torture. Like the sting of a scorpion, that aching, that pain, that itching, that muscle twitching, the burning sensation will never be comforted for the unbeliever. It will be eternally present with them in hell. G.K. Beale says the effect of the locust is to remind compromisers and some of the church's ungodly persecutors that their idolatry is in vain and that they are separated from the living God and consequently have no hope. What is all of this for in closing our point, first point? It's to show that like in Egypt, there is no God but the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit. It is to show that all worship apart from the triune God is idolatry and that opposing Christ and his church is folly. It is to create anxiety over sin. One that does not produce repentance. And one that won't satisfy a judgment. They will be judged. The sinner doesn't turn to God. These, these who are, as we'll see, marked by the beast, they don't turn to God. They turn to despair and find no comfort or solution there. But for the believer, I'm not talking about you. Relax. For the believer, you are the believer. We have been given peace from God which surpasses all understanding. And it guards what? Our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We don't fear death. Do we? No, we don't. We may even desire death, some of us. Because we know that our hope in Christ is sure and it lies before us. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. As we come to the remaining verses in the chapter in chapter 9, the Apostle John, through the inspiration of the Spirit, will begin to further expose, now here's where we get to, the manner of torture of these demonic forces. Let's get to it. Number two, the manner of the demonic torture. So we've been saying torture, torture, torture. What does this torture look like? What is it? Verses, verses 7 through 11. I'm not going to read them again. You will notice, though, in verses 7 through 11, there's a continuous use of the word like again. Repeated over and over again. And, and here's what, it, what it, it, it's doing. John is using the word like to express his absolute inability to precisely see or explain what he's seeing. But it sparks something in the mind of John from the Old Testament. So John's seeing, he's receiving these visions. John can't completely understand what they mean, but he knows at least a reference point to what they remind him of. And this is inspired by God. It's what God has intended John to do. John is, God has used John so that John could communicate these things by what he knows from Scripture. Also, obviously, being inspired by God. It's also, once again, the reason why we do not read of the locusts and take a literal approach to these verses. There are no such locusts that have crowns like gold, nor faces like men. They don't exist. It's meant to be symbolic. 
There are no such locusts that have hair like women or teeth like lions. It's meant to be symbolic. Even though John is not completely clear about what he is seeing, he was completely clear about what God was communicating. That's important. John's not a... Sometimes we see these fish on, on television shows. And my son will watch um, nature shows and we'll see these fish and they look like absolute monsters, right? We don't know exactly what it is that we're seeing. Well, John doesn't sees a creature, but doesn't know exactly what it is, but he knows what it means. What John sees is an allusion to chapters one and two of Joel, which describe, listen to this, a plague that devastates Israel's land that will come by way of an invading army. So in Joel, Joel prophesies of an invading army that will come upon Israel. And Joel compares this invading army, which is an actual army, to that of a locust that come and swarm upon a land. Joel uses the way that actual locusts came upon Egypt in the day of judgment as an analogy for the way that an actual army will come upon Israel in judgment. Here's what John does. John takes both of those analogies. Not that of an actual locust and not that of a physical army, but that of a spiritual demonic army that invades the world. To judge the wicked. See how, how John does that? John goes, I'll take that Moses and I'll take that Joel because that makes sense of what God is showing me here about what God is doing in the spiritual realm. These demons, they are horrific. Apart from Christ, we would have no power against them. They are fierce. They are destructive. They prey upon the souls of the ungodly. They gather like an army who has saddled up on their horses, ready to charge. On their hair, heads are what appears to be crowns, and their faces are like the faces of men. Uh, reference again to Joel chapter 2. Let me read it to you. Joel 2, 4. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses with their hair. And like war horses, so they run. With a noise as of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains. Like the crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble, like a mighty people arranged for battle, before them the people are in anguish, all faces turn pale. Uh, we are seeing direct references from what Joel says to what John says in, here chapter, in chapter 9. The Lord warns Israel, prepare for the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is always a reference to the judgment of God. The day of the Lord. When Adam sinned in the garden, the Lord came what in the cool of the day it was the day of the lord to do what to judge to execute judgment upon the wicked because of the sin of the people who invaded the army who would be invaded by an army and they would storm in the land like strong forces that have been trained for war now, john gives a similar warning from god to the unbeliever these demonic forces here, here's here's the the crown thing they storm in like royal horses That are trained for battle. Uh, they do not look like demons. They look like men. But they are deceived by Satan. John is in fact saying. Men will be seduced by demons. Who have seduced men with deceit. What, what's the answer to the torture? Uh, Pastor Antonio. You, you keep 
dragging me along. I'm doing this, you pay attention, hopefully. What's the answer to the torture? The answer to the torture is that the wicked are tortured by deception. How do demons torture all throughout the earth? The answer is primarily through deception. How will these demons swarm and torture? In large part, by deception. Here it is, by clouding the truth like dark billowing smoke from people so that they cannot see Christ. By opposing, by God's decree, the work of the Holy Spirit that that prevents them from converting to Christ. It is a judgment upon the wicked. Verse 8, how do they do that? They cloud the truth. They distort the truth. They pollute the truth. They have, how do they do that? But they have hair like women and teeth like lions. The, the deceivers, the demon, the, the deception of the, the demons is used by what we see in seduction. The way a woman seduces with hair, drawing and appealing people in. We may say, so it's going to be a woman? Stop. It's going to be something that draws people in the way a woman draws people in. It's going to be someone who speaks well. They are being deceived by Satan. It's not someone. I'm I'm speaking about an antichrist, right? I'm speaking about what Satan generally does. He raises up leaders. He raises up charismatic men and women. He leads people into deception through uh, seeking pursuits or pursuing things that will financially make them great. A variety of all of these deceptions. Satan through his demons and, and Satan himself, they come and snatch the seed of God that's sown. That they lead people away to false Christ and false belief about Christ. They seduce people. That's torture. You you may think, how is it torturous to be seduced? Because when they are drawn near, then they are devoured by sharp teeth. When they are drawn near, then they are devoured by sharp teeth. What are sharp teeth in reference to? Sharp teeth are also in reference to lies, deception. It's like the big bad wolf or, or the little red riding hood's wolf who says, come nearer, come nearer, come nearer, come nearer. And then devours. That is in fact what deception does. It stings. I was talking to a dear brother uh, recently. Who still feels the stinging effect of 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 the deception that he was in. It hurts to know that I was deceived in such a way. And for so long I was deceived in such a way. It's it's a poison that, that is is. At least the memory of it, you've been removed from poison, but at least the memory of it never escapes. It devours the soul like the teeth of a lion. And we know that Satan is is compared to a lion, a roaring lion, who does what? Rome, seeking whom he may what? Devour. It's what Satan has done from the very beginning. First, by lying to himself, distorting the truth of God, and believing that he could somehow ascend to the throne of God, and and then he deceives Eve with the beauty of the fruit of the tree and what it could produce. Telling her God was actually preventing her from something good, that God was being untruthful, that, that God was being unkind, and then he uses Eve to deceive Adam, who causes all of us to fall into sin. 
Our Lord says that when Satan speaks, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He was a liar from the beginning. And he uses his minions to perpetrate these lies upon the wicked. Who are unable to see Christ. Who are unable to see the truth of Christ. The church has fought against these dark lies from her beginning as well. From Sabellianism to modalism, which falsely teaches a heresy about the father about the Trinity, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are, are three modes or three roles or three faces in one single person. The heresy of docetism, which falsely teaches that Christ only appeared to be human, but, but actually was not really human. To today, uh, though they have always existed, the, the lie and deception of transgenderism, the lie and deception of homosexuality, the lie and deception that, that a baby is not actually a baby until only a certain amount of time and you can kill them until then. It's a lie and deception from Satan. The deception of Marxism. The deception of extreme patriotism. And all of the other kinds of isms. They are the, the, the influence of deception from the locusts who have spread from sea to shining sea. And they deceive those who have been marked by the beast. What is more, we see the evidence of, the, of this demonic activity through the absolute devotion that the unbeliever has to all of these lies and deception. They are devoted to these lies. They will, the unbeliever, will absolutely use force, be that violent or verbal, against anyone who refuses to embrace their lies. They wear on their faces sheer rage of anyone who would dare hold fast to the word of God as the only certain rule of faith and obedience. Their lies, as has been said when I was young, they are a lie and are lies from the pit of hell. Saints, these have all been ordained by God. God has allowed this. God even allows the evil one to obstruct unbelievers from the ability to see the truth. When asked why our Lord spoke in parables, here's what he said. So as to fulfill prophecy. Matthew 13, 13. I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see. And while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. I speak in such a way, Christ says, so that they won't understand. It's a judgment against them. I speak in such a way so that they don't they don't see. It's a judgment against them. I speak in such a way so that they won't hear. It is a judgment against them for their wickedness. And even when they do see, they reject the truth. Miracles were done in front of their face, and yet they denied the very fact that they were from God. Oh, it was a judgment against them. How many unbelievers you stand before them and they say, give me more proof. Give me more proof. If God is real, tell him to come here now. Well, God has come. He has come in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has finished and accomplished all that is necessary for our salvation. And yet they still will not believe. It is a judgment against them. Our Lord intentionally spoke this way so that they would not see and not understand. These demonic locusts have been sent forth to poison as a venom or to sting as a scorpion, the unbeliever, with lies. They are sent to blind truth from their eyes and from their hearts and to torment the unbeliever. Torment also extends to possession. Yes, let's get to that. Unbelievers can and are at times possessed by demons. Who? Unbelievers. Not the believer. 
Why? Because the believer is sealed by God. And God has said to the demon, you are not allowed to touch them. You're only allowed to touch the unbeliever. If anybody ever says a, de- a, a believer can be possessed, go to Revelation chapter 9, where specifically God says, I don't think so. This also extends to psychological torments. That is where the mind is unable to function without substances or unable to function altogether. When the person has the substance, they are in torment. When they don't have the substance, they are in torment. Why? As an act of judgment against God upon the wicked. It extends to possession. It extends to deception. And it extends to psychological unrest. I just can't hear. I just can't hear. It's because you don't belong here. We must not for one moment hear of the blinding and torment as somehow being, again, injustice from God. It is his act of justice. The unbeliever who has opposed Christ and his church declares, uh, and his church who declare the truth of God, they are being opposed by God. They sought for to put to death the people of God in order to somehow afflict God himself. And they will be opposed. John describes the armor that they wear like like iron and describes the way that they that they sound in two ways. The sound of chariots and the sound of many horses running to battle. Uh, Let me just as a side note, say in the 20th, this is important and 21st century. There have there are some who have come to the conclusion that the Apostle John was actually alluding to helicopters that would come and specifically attack America. I don't think the air is on. We have already made it clear that these attacks are not physical. They are spiritual. Not natural, but supernatural. What is more, these attacks are not upon one nation, but God has sent these demons to the four corners of the world. And finally, if these were any references to attack helicopters, then that means that the church for 19 centuries would have no earthly idea what these verses meant, and therefore they would not be blessed or benefited for 19 centuries. Only until the 20th century. Oh, this makes complete sense now. On the contrary, the sounds that John describes are an allusion to Jeremiah 51. I will fill you with with people like locusts, and they will cry out. The sound is not meant to be taken literal, but it's meant to be taken as, as the vastness of the demonic army that is sent throughout the four corners of the world. They are rushing throughout the world. When our Lord encountered the demoniac, he identified himself as what? Legion. He says, because we are many. So it is with the demonic activity that is loosed in the world. Let's read verses 10 through uh, 12 in, in, in closing this point. <clears throat> They have tails like scorpions again and stings, and in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. It is limited, and it is cyclical. It's a cycle to it. It's allowed for a time and then held back. And it's been going on ever since Christ inaugurated his kingdom. 
There has been deception after deception. Evil is rampant throughout the world. But the cause of deception. Is it only demonic? Or is it also man's depravity? We could, after hearing about these demons, come to the conclusion it everyone's filled with a demon. All believe, unbelievers are filled with demons. That's what's going on. Not necessarily. They are allowed to deceive. They are being deceived. But they are only allowed to be deceived because of their depraved heart. Because they still have hearts of stone and have not been given hearts of flesh. So we therefore don't want to look at Putin and say, he's filled with the devil. Though he might be. We don't want to look at the person who is running uh, some kind of sinful scam and say, they are filled with the devil. Though they might be. They are all displaying evidences of a depraved heart. And they will be liable for their actions. And they are also being manipulated by the force of Satan. There's two things going on. Man is responsible for his wickedness. Man knows. Romans 1.18. The wrath of God. Here's what God's judgment is. It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's God's judgment against the unrighteous. Because that which is known about God, it's evident to them. Actually, within them, Paul says, for God has made it evident to them. They know God. They know the, the, the truthfulness of God, but it is suppressed, coupled with deception. Suppressing the truth and ungodliness is God's judgment against the wickedness of men. Man is fully aware of the truth of God, but has pushed it down because of a depraved heart. This wickedness, coupled with the lies of Satan to allure men, with the varieties of temptations, with the varieties of lies, away from worship to God and worship of self, is a doctrine of demons. And they are believing it wholeheartedly. Man is absolutely responsible for his deviation from true worship to God. And man is also responsible for his rebellion against God. Now, it would not be good if we ended our service like this. Though it is what it is. If we needed to, we needed to. But in preparation for the sermon, I heard a verse... Uh, that sparked joy in my soul and also maybe even understanding for the very first time very late at night and I said I'm going to get that in the morning <laughs> number three hope for those sealed in Christ <clears throat> brothers and sisters once the trumpets are uh, these trumpets are a result of the prayers of the saints who reside under the altar of God. They pray, uh, Revelation 6.10, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Here in this ninth chapter, the saints of God are comforted to know that God will not allow the wicked to escape their opposition to Christ and his bride. Now, now let me slow down here as we close. The demons are not allowed to hurt the sealed of God. They're not allowed to deceive them. We won't believe their lies. We will only grow in truth. They may kill us. For many of us have been martyred throughout the centuries. But we have gone to our dying breath, holding on to the word of God and the truthfulness of Christ, our Messiah. 
Take the body, but cannot harm the soul, Christ says. Don't fear them. These poisonous lies are not allowed to strike, sting, fill us with the venomous, poisonous lies of the enemy. You know this verse well. Let's go to it because I want you to see it. Luke chapter 10. Praise God for revelation. Because without it at this particular time of my life, I don't think I would finally understand this verse. 10.17 The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. These 70 were sent out by the Lord to preach the gospel, to go to every city. And listen to what Christ's response to them is. I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Satan's authority has been stripped from him. And then pay attention to where Christ gives the authority. Behold, I give you authority. To do what? To tread on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy. And nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. I don't know for how long, but for a long time. Many have foolishly taken this verse to mean that they can pick up snakes, that they can dance with scorpions and not be injured by them, only to find themselves lying on the floor as ambulance are coming to try to resuscitate them. How many have died attempting to pick up a snake, a venomous snake, allowing it to bite them only to die? This verse is speaking about Satan being emptied of any power of deception over the people of God. They can tread over venomous snakes. They can tread over scorpions. What does John, who is referring back to this verse, what is John referring to snakes, vipers, and scorpions as being? Deception. You can tread over the deception of the enemy and it will not harm you who are in Christ. You can tread over. You can hear. They will come and bring to you all of their arguments and you will not receive them because you've been sealed by God's Holy Spirit. His lies won't infect you. He's fallen. He has no authority over you. You cannot be deceived any longer. Those of you who have come from former churches, praise be to God that there came a time when you began to tread over the venomous lies that were being spoken to you. I don't believe this anymore. This doesn't seem right to me. God was working on you by his spirit, making clear the sun, uh, making powerful the work of the air, the Holy Spirit, so that you can see Christ and so that his spirit 
can continue to do his magnificent work in you and revealing to you the truth. Amen. You won't be beguiled as Adam was beguiled. You are no longer in Adam. You are in Christ. Why haven't you fallen prey to all the deceptions that we have mentioned before? Because you're sealed by God. Why haven't you gone back to the old church? It's because you're sealed by God. Would it be easier? Maybe it'd be easier if you weren't sealed by God. It's because you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Satan and his dominion and his demons have no power over you and they can't rob you from the truth. Pastor Isaiah read it this morning. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Christ has set you free from the dominion of Satan. And now you can tread upon the lies of the evil one and they will not harm you. No matter how enticing they sound, you see past the deception. God has done this. God has allowed this. Praise be to God. You're no longer deceived. The spiritual sting of the scorpion's deceit. It can't confuse your mind. You've been given the mind of Christ. The venom of the viper will not penetrate you or kill you because you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. You now live to glorify the Son of God who loved you. And gave himself as a ransom for you. And then Jesus said, and rejoice in this. Don't rejoice over the fact that you can't hit me no more. You can't deceive me no more. Yes, rejoice in that. But rejoice in this. That your names have been written in the book of life. Written in the blood of Christ. And they shall not be removed. Praise be to God. Your names are recorded in heaven. You shall never be removed. For the unbeliever, what do we do? Well, we should be diligent in sharing the gospel with them. There is still time. The last of the, the, the lost sheep of Christ have not yet been brought in or else Christ would have returned. Be faithful in preaching the gospel. And rejoice that when the final soul is brought in, the clouds will open forth and Christ will return for his bride. Let's pray.